Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. I'm Jackie Elliott. And I'm Kirsten DeFrose. This episode is part two of Finding a Mentor. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, I recommend going back and hearing from Kathy McGowan, who talks about mentors who've helped her in her political and leadership career. So you want a mentor, but where do you find one? Sure, it can happen organically, but there are also formalized programs and networking hubs that can really help too. And we'll be discussing some of those for business and also ag, while also looking at how to recognize those potential mentors along the way. I find the real value come from talking to someone who's only six months ahead of you or only 12 months ahead of you, because they were where you were fairly recently compared to 20, 25 years ago. And they're able to give you really tangible advice. You just need to be constantly learning and open-minded. And there's things on the farm that I'm still not great at. I can back a trailer, no worries. On the farm, I am absolutely competent, but the moment that someone is watching me back a trailer, I just turn to absolute mush and I just get all kerfuffled and end up in a hell of a mess. You just heard from Rebecca Barry, a farmer and manager of South Australia's largest livestock exchange at Narracourt. And before that, we heard from Malaka Mufala, who manages a very different kind of exchange in Dubbo, a co-working, networking and innovation space. And it literally is called The Exchange. <laughs> Love it. Hey, but first things first, Jackie, after listening to Rebecca just then, I feel like I need to ask, can you back a trailer? I am very proud to say I can back a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it took me lots of practice and learning, but at the end of the day, it was something I had to do for a job that I was doing, delivering chemical. And it took me a long time, but I had to build that confidence in backing a trailer. And I felt that I was confident enough to get myself out of a, a hard, difficult situation or when I was delivering chemical and I needed trailer in a different, a certain spot. But like Beck says, further down the track, I can definitely do it a lot better when no one's looking. <laughs> <laughs> I have never backed a trailer. I'll just put it out there. It doesn't surprise me at all that you can back a trailer, but I'm terrified at the prospect. I don't even do a reverse park. I have not reverse parked <laughs> since I sat for my driver's license exam and just passed that that bit I have not done it since I'll just drive around town looking for a park that I can drive into so the idea of backing a trailer look I'm, it's something I'm sure I could do if I had to like if my livelihood was dependent on backing a trailer I'm sure I could learn but yeah I've, I've avoided it I do have a confession to make when it comes to reverse parks I'll drive around the block and find an easier one <laughs> so even people <laughs> back a trailer will do that. <laughs> hey, let's get started. Uh, Jackie, you caught up with Malika, who is originally from Sydney and was actually planning for an international career, but she got a better offer in Dubbo. So I did a degree in international studies and economics, and I always thought that I would have this career that would take me to London and New York and Beijing and Geneva and work within those fields. And I didn't see necessarily my career path landing me in regional Australia. Um, but in my degree, oh, my, in my final year of economics, I had to write a thesis and I wrote my thesis looking at entrepreneurship within women and how um, encouraging entrepreneurship 
and women owning businesses, both in developing countries and in regional Australia, um, how it contributed to a country's GDP overall. And I wrote this thesis and my now boss, uh, Gillian Kilby, who is the CEO and founder of The Exchange, heard about it and we met up for coffee in Sydney and she said, I'm starting this uh, venture uh, in Dubbo and I'd love for you to come and help me launch it. So she said, we're focusing you know, on bush startups. And I think it'd be really interesting work considering the thesis that you've just written. So I packed up my bags, jumped on a train and headed out to Dubbo literally two days later, um, quit my retail job and <laughs> interned there for a couple months and launched and got um, the doors open. And then I had another internship lined up. So I said to Jill from the start, I can only intern with you for a couple months because I'm actually going to uh, Africa. I have an internship with an NGO over there. So I then moved from Dubbo to uh, rural Zambia and I was working with women also who um, were starting businesses and were trying to break into new markets. So I worked with inner female uh, incubator and that was so fascinating. And I actually found it really enlightening because some of the problems that I was seeing within Dubbo were also being reflected to me back in, in Zambia, in Africa. And it was one of those moments where I thought, gosh, like, I can't believe I went all the way to Africa to experience the problems <laughs> that I was already seeing within in, in Dubbo. And I think it's also important to point out that they were both, we, like when we first opened the doors at the exchange, we were in the middle of the drought. So dust storms on the daily and sub-Saharan Africa is still um, also suffering through a drought. So the problems were fairly similar. A lot of people were trying to shift their household incomes to more of that diversified secondary income that wasn't reliant upon agriculture. So that was really interesting. Yeah, I think as well, it was, I guess it really drove home to me that regardless of where you are in the world, women are consistently the backbone of any community or any society and that they contribute a huge amount in terms of labor both paid and unpaid to the economy and so that really drove it home because what I was seeing in regional Australia and when we opened the doors of the exchange we expected to have an even split of men and women and what we were finding was that 90% of the people who were coming through our doors were women who were trying to start businesses and so it was so fascinating then seeing that reflected back to me, but in a completely different context, but for those same reasons um, yeah. of needing to, yeah, diversify their income. Um, and then after I was there for about nine months, came back to Australia and um, Gillian from the exchange called me up and said, hi, um, that program that we wrote when you were interning has actually been funded and I need you to come back and run it. So I came back and uh, launched the change program, which is our flagship program at the exchange. And my, the main part of my job as program manager, it's a program designed to help regional men and women um, upskill in a micro business. And so, yeah, came back and launched the change and I've been there ever since. And that's lesson one, particularly for young people starting out in a career. Through her studies, Malika met Gillian, had a coffee and then interned at the exchange. Then when there was an opening, she was offered the job. Malika says she's found a great mentor in Gillian and a number of other colleagues at the exchange. My team is absolutely fantastic. It's funny 
who I go to for different forms of mentoring. Um, Kate Wade, who is the manager of the of the building in Dubbo, she is has a very holistic way of mentoring. So I often go to her when I have a challenge, but it could be like an emotional challenge. Like, how do I deal with this situation? Or this person was a little bit hostile. How do I best approach this situation? Or I feel like something's wrong with this client. You know, what should I do? Or even the days where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And she's that person for me. Whereas then I, I turn around and I go to Jill for more hardline, tangible business mentoring. She's very, she's very clever, very quick. Her brain works at a million miles an hour and she is so fantastic in terms of that style of mentoring. And I feel like because I'm quite young, she's kind of got that decade up on me in terms of experience. But the actual tenants and community uh, and co-workers at the exchange it's been really interesting we've introduced formal mentoring before and I can chat to that later on but I find that or we find that organic mentoring has been the biggest success within the building we foster that through little bits and pieces but it's just happened also quite organically so for instance when we first did the renovation of the clock tower we deliberately didn't put in a zip tap so a zip tap is one of those ones which just like sticks in the kitchen and you get like instant boiling water when you push the button. And so we decided that we weren't going to we weren't going to get a zip tap and we would instead do a um a kettle. Yep. And so we got a kettle and um now everyone sits out in like communal co-working space. There's some people in offices, but sometimes the people in private offices actually leave their doors open if they're not doing focus work. And so once someone hits the kettle in the kitchen, pretty much everyone in the building, um, or not everyone in the building, but a lot of people can hear the kettle going because the kitchen's the heart of the space. And I can't tell you how many times people have gotten up while someone's standing in the kitchen waiting for the kettle to boil and be like, oh, hey, so-and-so. Um, I saw on your Instagram that you have just launched a new range. Can I ask you how you did that? Or I'm really interested to hear about your experience with whatever. Or I stalked you on LinkedIn and I actually found out that you did this. How can I also get to that spot where you were? So it happens really organically in the building. And it's something that I love because it also fosters community. And I feel like people are naturally good. People are naturally want to help and be generous. And so a lot of people can see themselves reflected back in the other person asking that question because they were like, that was me six months ago, a year ago. And I wish that I had someone who I could approach really casually at a kitchen bench and ask about whatever it is. In our last episode, Jen Donovan was talking about if you're wanting to grow your business, like you don't have to go to the person who's been in it for 20 years. You can just go to the person that, you know, is the next step ahead of you. And I love that idea of, you know, coming around the the kettle. It's like the kitchen table, you know, you come back to the the kitchen table conversations and they're usually the best ones. I I think also, well, like you've hit the nail on the head, Jackie, with when people are thinking about a mentor or trying to look for a mentor, I often find that, yeah, they do try and look at an established person who is 20, 30 years ahead of them and is where they envision themselves being eventually. And it's fantastic to have a mentor like that and be able to chat to someone. But at the same time, I find that the real value comes from talking to someone who's only six months ahead of you or only 12 months ahead of you because they were where you were 
fairly recently compared to 20, 25 years ago. So <laughs> they understand almost exactly what you're going through, where you're at, and they're able to give you really tangible advice to the point where they're like, use this website, go and talk to this person, rather than being like, when I did it, this is what how I approached it. So definitely also seek out people who are at a similar range to you. Yeah, throughout your life and your career, like I think there's always a mentor that comes on at a different you know, seasonal time or project. And then you might always have one that you always fall back to. And it might be for something completely Mm. um, different, whether it's a personal or a business thing. Yeah, totally. And they're almost like guardian angels in a sense. And um, yeah, I definitely love to see the cycle of mentoring happen. Even we had a formal program called Mentor Walks, which paired up like established women with like emerging women in Dubbo. And they would meet out the front of the clock tower every fortnight at like at, you know, 10 a.m. with their walking shoes on and they would do a lap of the river. So they go and get a coffee and do a river walk. And it was kind of more of like a structured, formalised um, process, but it's really interesting I guess initially the established women were like, I'm the mentor and they're the mentees. But then flash forward, you know, a couple months and suddenly they're like, oh, hang on a second. I don't remember if I'm the mentor or they're the mentees. Like then some some of the the emerging women or the young women were almost like mentoring these older women about certain things as well. And so it's really lovely when you do kind of get that really natural like ebb and flow. And then, you know, mentors were passing on, some of their mentees to other mentors because they were like, oh, I can't help you with this problem, but I know someone who's really, who's really good at that. And so then it literally does become almost like a chain. And I find that it's one of those things like when you, you know, help someone, then it's good karma and then, you know, someone's there to help you. And if you're thinking about formalized mentoring, there are fortunately many programs that are either free or heavily subsidized. Yeah, there are places like the Exchange all over the country where you can access co-working spaces and networking opportunities. Uh, There's one near us in Warrnambool. I know there's some in Ballarat. So I think if you literally Google some of the bigger towns near you and and put in co-working space, something will probably come up. And wouldn't that be great after COVID is over if more people could connect, you know, utilising those hubs in our small towns? The people at the Exchange in Dubbo are about to open another space in Narrabri but a lot of the opportunities are also online, such as the change program that Malaka runs. Yeah, so the change program, we've been very lucky. We've had three rounds of funding given to us by Women New South Wales. And that's kind of, yeah, the model that we run off, which is fantastic because it means that we can offer the change program and the services free of charge to our community and to women, not only within the Central West, but also around Australia. The Change is a series of workshops designed for women trying to upskill themselves in a micro business. So we focus on, we have topics and I get facilitators and experts in and they host workshops on like marketing, um, small business finance, social media, business accounting, admin, how to hire your first hire. Initially we started it and it was in person. So I was physically driving out with these facilitators to small regional towns and hosting them in CWA halls and and libraries. But then COVID hit last year and we couldn't host any of them in person. So I had to flip the program online. And what I was discovering was that 
when I was going out to Trangy per se, I might get 15 women turn up. And I was really happy with having 15 women from Trangy turn up, or I might go to Warren and get another 15. And I was stoked. And then suddenly I flipped it online and you didn't have to be within the region to attend. Anyone could attend as long as you had the link to um, the website and you had a free Dropbox and downloaded all of the content and the workbooks to go alongside it. And all of my data started picking and I was getting people watching you know, all of the change workshops from remote properties in WA and then they'd be in South Australia and I'd have people up in Longreach in Queensland and all the way up to Darwin and then all down the East Coast and people from the cities um, and all the way down to Port Ferry in Victoria. And so I was like, oh, wow, like it really confirmed to me that there is a need like for access to education and and the program specifically focused for women so there's uh, women want to upskill themselves and they're hungry for information and they almost don't know how to get it or where to get it or it's not um like in bite-sized pieces for them or palatable I'm not quite sure what exactly it is but it's we kind of found this perfect sweet spot where we created this program for regional women and we knew the context and the background of what what happens in regional settings so we're able to I guess adjust um, a lot of the workshops to support you know and 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 to even just discuss things which like people in the cities can't just like don't discuss because it's not an issue them. So, like in terms of how to run a business with challenging like connectivity or like wi-fi issues um and just really basic things like that or trying to run a business while your husband's out trying to like on on the back of a john deere sewing for you know 10 days so it's a program that i feel really passionately about and it's kind of got a bit of a cult following at the moment so yeah it definitely brings together a lot of people from across um australia now and there are plenty of mentoring opportunities specifically for agriculture Meet Rebecca Barry, who received a scholarship through Livestock Leaders and Sheep Australia. Yeah, and Rebecca, despite running two farms and managing the Livestock Exchange in Narracourt, I can't believe she actually told you, Jackie, that she still struggles to call herself a farmer. I farm with my partner, Matt, in Apsley in Western Victoria. So we're in a unique situation that we've got two farms that are 500 kilometres apart. So our livestock farm running uh, Merino Sheep, uh, for wool and terminal land production in Apsley in Western Victoria and our broadacre cropping farm in Port Broughton, which is on the York Peninsula, two hours north of Adelaide, which is Matt's family farm, uh, where which is all cropping. So uh, we're in a unique situation where our farms are apart and we juggle life um, between those two farms. But I've just recently returned back to a professional role. So I've taken on the role as manager of the Narracourt Regional Livestock Exchange. So managing the sale yards at Narracourt, which is the biggest uh, sale yard complex in South Australia. Excellent. And you say there, Beck, that you've taken on a professional role. What makes your role at the sale yards more professional than your farming farming role? <laughs> I I've guess, thrown a curveball um, question in there because but that's quite interesting. <laughs> like, you know, I think women that I really admire and look up to, and you're one of them, why do we see a different role in a professional term but farming, like we don't call it our professional role? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question because maybe it's because I get up every day and I have to be there at a set time and I, you know, I get paid a salary in my, in my, um, in my bank account every fortnight, but I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. And something that you've spoken about in your podcast before is do you call yourself a farmer? I still, even though I am a farmer and I'm hands-on and I'm a director of our family farming business and um, as a farmer as much as anyone or as much as my partner is, um, I still sometimes struggle to call myself a farmer. So I don't know why I call that a professional role and farming's not because there's not any difference in work ethic or the quality, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably just the knowing that I have to be somewhere every day and I probably report to someone else rather than being self-employed and being my own boss that I think it's a professional role. If I'm on the farm, I can't tell myself to go and get stuffed because um, I'm, I'm the boss myself. Not that I can do that in a professional role either, but yeah, you know, probably in a professional role, I have to answer to someone else and probably be accountable to someone else. Whereas if something goes wrong in our farming business, the only person that's accountable is myself. Fair enough. So how did you end up farming? What did you do when you finished your like schooling education? Yeah, so I went to Longrenong Agricultural College. So at the time that was uh, studying through the University of Melbourne. So finished my course there and all I wanted to do was be an agronomist. So it was at the time where sheep prices were really low and so I chose all of my subjects to follow the agronomy path. So once I left studying, I, yeah, worked as an agronomist for a few years. And then uh, it's funny that it led me into a job where I actually switched from agronomy into animal health. And at the time I thought, oh, that wasn't um, where I sort of wanted to be after having my blinkers on and just wanting to do agronomy. But it was at a time that the company was launching a new sheep drench, which was the first one to come out in quite a while. So I thought, wow, what an exciting opportunity to be part of that. So I moved across, I moved from the Wimmera across into South Australia and managed, yeah, looked after all of the all of South Australia. And from there, I sort of moved across into New Zealand. I got offered a role over there and yeah, worked in New Zealand doing the same sort of thing as a territory manager. And yeah, that's where I met my partner, Matt, when I was working in that role. And so Matt is, his family farms obviously um, on the York Peninsula. So at the time I was living in the southeast of South Australia, so I thought I've always put my career first rather than my love life. So I thought, why not take a chance and move up to Port Broughton? So I moved up there with Matt. Um, I took on a new role up there and not long after starting that role, I fell pregnant. So it was a, <laughs> a little bit of a, um, yeah, it was an exciting time in our lives. And so I actually, just because working as a territory manager just away so much of the time it just wouldn't have been conducive to family life because I was just covering such a big area and I never would have been home so we actually decided to diversify Matt's family farming business and we thought well with my background in livestock what a great way to be able to turn their family cropping enterprise into a mixed farming enterprise so yeah, that's how we, we started our own business separate to Matt's family farming business. And yeah, and I became a farmer. So we've been farming since 2018. So yeah, I've loved moving across into being in a hands-on role myself and working with our, with our own business. It's and been great. Somewhere in there, you found time to have another little babe. <laughs> I did yeah <laughs> I did so we did I fell pregnant with Charlotte when we uh yeah when we were farming so that was that was an interesting 
yeah, an interesting juggle with being pregnant and, um, yeah, <laughs> and trying to do sheet work. So I still can remember the day that I was mouthing news and I was in the race by myself pregnant and Matt was at the other farm and he said, don't do it, don't just leave it and I'll do it when I get back. And I thought, no, 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 I can do this. And I was mouthing these ewes and this ewe ran through me in the race and I just dropped my knee and I thought, oh, my God, I've broken my knee. Like just the pain and the sound, like I still remember it to this day. And I crawled from the race out into the centre of the sheep yards and I thought, oh, I've actually broken something. Matt is going to kill me. And I crawled all the way over to the house and I thought, I just kept thinking, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure enough, I tore, tore my ACL. So not a full tear, but did tear my ACL. And I still remember the, yeah, even now to this day, Matt still gets frustrated. He's like, remember that time that I told you not to do something with the sheep and you did it? And um, yeah, it's been a juggle, but I feel very lucky that we live the life that we do and yeah and our kids get to grow up even though they probably hate it now they I think that they grow up with a respect for the land and respect for for what we do yeah and so with your time when you started at Longy did you have any female mentors going into that or what about even um, your own mum or grandma did you have any female role models to take that like step into into agriculture I really look up to my great-grandma. So she worked hard on our family farm. She worked alongside her husband in back in the day. So she was just nudging 100 when she passed away. But she lived a life of a really, really tough era where, you know, she was responsible for going out and killing, you know, killing chickens to eat and feeding feeding you know the horses and doing the horsework and she just came from a different area a different era where you know women were just they were tough and they worked really hard on the farm and you know they didn't have the luxuries that we have today and yeah so I really really look up to looked up to her um I don't remember her because she passed away when yeah when I was little but I do yeah I really just all the stories that my my family talk about when she yeah what she used to do on the farm and what she contributed to our family farm um yeah I just really admire her as a person and what she achieved in an era where it was probably frowned upon that women got their hands dirty so um yeah I really do look up to to her and both parents are still around on the family farm is that right no, so my parents got divorced and so when dad so when my parents got divorced, dad sold his family farm or our family farm. Yeah. And then my mum married a farmer. So um yeah, so there's sort of a couple of farms, but our family farm got well part of it, most the biggest part of it got sold. So yeah. yeah. So Wait, I never had that option really to go back back to back on the farm. Yeah. 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 So going into ag as a young woman. Were you supported by both parents? Absolutely, yeah. My, um, I think my both of my parents weren't surprised when I said that I had two choices. I either wanted to be be involved in agriculture, which is what my dad does, or be involved in nursing, which is what my mum does. And right until I got my enter score, I was still torn between the two. But I really found that just growing up on the land and all of our weekends were spent at the farm and working with sheep and just being out and about. I just it just felt natural to yeah to pursue a career in ag and um and when I 
uh, I was working a couple of years as an agronomist and I thought, oh, I'd really love to be able to study midwifery. So I studied two thirds of a midwifery degree while I was working as an agronomist. And I still remember to this day, I was on placement and this woman was in labor and she was about to have the baby. And rather than concentrating on what she was doing, I was too busy talking to her husband about fertilizer and the weather and what was happening on their farm. And it was like a <laughs> aha moment that I'm like I love midwifery and especially even more now since having kids but my calling has always been in ag that's what I love and that's yeah that's what drives me so I quickly didn't finish that degree and I went back to yeah to working um in my job full-time that's really good and are you a part of the livestock the the is it livestock leaders yeah I got offered a scholarship through the livestock leaders Group. So they partnered with Sheep Producers Australia where they encourage young people in the industry from all different walks of life to be involved in promoting the positive side of our industry. So just the through utilising the power of social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and just really sort of sharing the positive side of what we do as an industry and yeah and what we do and the direction that we're heading so yeah it was a fantastic opportunity to be able to to get some more knowledge on social media and and just be encouraged to continue telling our story and yeah showcasing what we love and so part of the livestock leaders do you think you've found like a good um support group maybe mentoring as well in that in that capacity and people leading the group and other other people that are doing the same projects as you? Absolutely. It's really good in our industry, I think, to be able to partner with people that have a similar mindset. So we all know that as farmers, we all do things differently. Some of you, some use best practice, others don't use, don't use best practice. So to be able to partner with like-minded people who are passionate about what we do, passionate about what we produce, and really really positive in sharing our story it's a really great network to be part of and part of that network too you get to get in contact with past people who have done the um, livestock leaders course so there is a whole plethora of people from all different walks of life across the industry and there's there have been lots of local connections that I've pieced together too just through that networking groups. And what would be what's something that we can do like I'm in my late 20s I'm not going to assume your age, but <laughs> so, um, well, I call it early thirties because I haven't hit thirty-five. So there you 34. go, early thirties. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, what is something do you think that, or some advice you can share, or what's some things that we can do or change and um, support rural women? So. I think it's just about finding, like when you find friendship groups or like when you have kids and you find like-minded mothers at mother's group, you need to find people in ag or women in ag who are like-minded, who are passionate about encouraging young people, particularly women, to join the industry and to, yeah, and to not not expect young people coming into our industry to know everything like I didn't I didn't walk into my roles on as a farmer and I didn't walk into my role uh, managing the sale yards as an expert I'm still learning every day so 
I think to be able to find to be able to find mentors who encourage you and can help teach you things along the way is really really important and that doesn't always necessarily have to be uh, female mentors it can also be male mentors and no matter what age you are yeah yeah you're always learning so I think it's yeah really important just to have uh, that network of, of like-minded people around you as support no matter where you are or what stage you're at in your career in ag. I think to be successful in ag you have to be true and you have to be genuine. There are so many times where it's easy to if someone wants you to do something or ask you something you don't know that you can just bluff your way through it but I think if you are genuine and say, I actually don't know, or I don't know how to do this, or can you show me? We're constantly learning and constantly growing. You know, there's things on the farm that I'm still not great at. I can back a trailer, no worries. On the farm, I am absolutely confident. But the moment that someone is watching me back a trailer, I just turn to absolute mush and I just get all kerfuffled and end up in a hell of a mess. And it's like when I'm trying to parallel park and someone's watching as well, the easiest thing is just to drive off into the distance and just never show your face again so go around the block I know. <laughs> yeah. exactly just yeah or just go and park somewhere and walk 5k's into town I'm the first to admit I'm not perfect and there's lots of things that I can't do there's lots of things that I can do well but lots of things that I can't do well is also and I think it's just yeah you just need to be um, authentic I think if you're if you're passionate and you're positive about something, then I think the rest will follow. I love that advice from Rebecca or Farmer Beck, as I'm now going to call her, just to reinforce, if only to her, that she is in fact a farmer. Yeah. And look, I'm sure uh, Farmer Beck is going to get some good advice from Malika. We asked Malika what she would change for rural women if money wasn't a barrier and if she could wave a magic wand two things one's quite tangible the other's quite abstract I was my tangible one is connectivity solid wi-fi solid network I mean half of the people that we have in our space at the exchange all have properties further out of town and they come in just purely because they can't access you know wi-fi internet on their on their home properties the second one is if I could change or offer anything about regional women or men specifically women would be, I feel like what I'm saying consistently and what I feel like I do the most mentoring onto other people is confidence. I find that there's a really big crisis in confidence for regional women. A lot of the time they, they will come to me and will say, I'm stuck on this thing. I don't know what to do. And then I'll talk through it with them. Actually, I barely even do the talking. They often will talk it through. Um, and they know exactly what they need to do. They just want someone to reaffirm them, to validate them, to say, it sounds like you've got it all nutted out. You just need to hit send on it, hit yeah. like, hit go live, you know, whatever it is. So I find that, and I don't know how, I don't know how we do this. I don't know if it's more confidence workshops. I don't know if it's a magic wand. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen, but if I could change anything, I wish that, these women believed in themselves the way or like could see the way that I perceive them when they come and talk to me like I look at them and I'm like you have it all together like you are just so capable you are so ready you are going to kill it you're going to nail it so one thing I would change would be 
increase the confidence, self-confidence of women in business, especially within regional settings. And that's it for another episode of Ducks on the Pond. Jackie, that old confidence problem just comes back, doesn't it? It's been raised a couple of times already and we're only like fourth episode in. (laughs) I think it's going to be a continuous subject and an issue that rural women will face. And I think too, like, I've absolutely loved doing those mentoring episodes and learning where other people have met a mentor. And I feel like too, Kirsten, you've been a great mentor to me and helped me build my confidence. And I really thank you for that because it's not something that, um, you know, getting up and recording, sitting here even now and recording, it's, you know, definitely makes me nervous, but I feel like each time's getting easier. Oh, good. No one's listening, Jackie. Don't worry about it. No one's listening. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they are. Actually, I'm really happy about our numbers. So thank you very much for listening. I want to thank our guests, Malaika Mufula and Rebecca Barry. And I also want to let you know that we are wanting to do an episode on succession planning soon. Yeah, our inbox on social media is full of people, or rural women in particular, wanting us to talk about succession planning. And we'd love it if anyone could reach out, you know, that we'd be happy to share their story. And even if it's in confidence. Yeah. And look, we do understand the sensitivities around it. We are rural women as well. And even if you want to send us something anonymously where we protect your name and and just maybe read out your story, we can do that too. You can send us a message on social media. You can email us at ducksonthepond.podcast at gmail.com. That's ducksonthepond.podcast at gmail.com. And of course, any other comments and feedback is always welcome. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We always love to hear from you and we'll see you next time. See ya.